The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Uh, welcome to the program, everyone. We've got a great show to kick off the week here. We're going to be talking about shadow people. I'm excited about this because this is one of those paranormal topics that a lot of people have questions about. This is one of those paranormal topics where when you go ghost hunting for the first time, you're likely, if you're going to have any kind of encounter, it's this kind of encounter. It's a shadow person encounter. These are uh, some of the more common interactions that people uh, claim to have with the paranormal world. And our guest tonight, Mike Ricksecker, has written a book about the uh, the very topic. It's called A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. And he's going to be talking about it. Uh, and for those of you who've been with the pro- program for a while, you know that my daughter, Alexandria, was producer, uh, helped uh, Slick Eddie with producing for uh, a good two years, the first couple of years of the show, uh, maybe even longer than that. So she always keeps her eye out for stories. And she actually forwarded one to me today that I thought was kind of interesting because the uh, talk on social media is this is not what it appears. Uh, State police in New York, near Utica, New York, which is upstate New York, are asking for the public's help with an alleged crime. Uh, They say that uh, people had uh, impersonated police officers. But listen to this report. A man told police he was pulled over on January 28th. He told troopers he didn't recognize the vehicle, but he saw uh, flashing lights in his windshield, so he pulled over. He says two men got out of the car. They were in black coats and black hats. They appeared to be about six feet tall in their mid-twenties. He said they walked over to his car. They asked him to get out and go to the rear of the vehicle and to sit on his knees. While he was doing that, they, one of the men searched the car. Then he says a second man took a Q-tip and swabbed his mouth and then told him he could leave. Now, investigators say this is a couple of guys impersonating police officers. But according to the, uh, the man that this happened to, he didn't say they actually said they were police officers. Maybe he did tell the police that. But social media is now abuzz with this because it almost sounds like what? What comes to mind? A men in black encounter, doesn't it? A men in black encounter. Uh, black coats, black hats in a vehicle that was unidentifiable. Uh, interesting. So uh, I'm going to keep an eye on this story to see if they come up with anything else and uh, anybody uh, has any other kind of any other evidence to support whether this was just a couple of people uh, impersonating, whether it was police officers or maybe even impersonating uh, men in black. Maybe they were playing a joke. Who the heck knows? But we'll see. You know, we'll keep an eye on it. I thought it was interesting enough to pass it on and have a bit of a chat about it. So we'll go to break, and when we come back, we'll have our guest on, Mike Ricksecker. Tonight we're talking about his work in investigating, researching, and writing about shadow people. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Tonight's guest, Mike Ricksecker, is going to talk about one of those things. In fact, uh, this is probably one of the more common paranormal phenomena. If you've ever been ghost hunting or paranormal investigating, whatever you want to call it, uh, you may have encountered something called shadow people. Well, what are they? What are they about? Why do you see them? What are they trying to tell you? What are they trying to do? Mike has written a book called A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. Mike, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with us tonight. Thanks, JP. Appreciate being on. You know, this is a great topic, but before we get into it, I want to talk a little bit about you and kind of get a sense of how you got started with your interest in the paranormal. When did that begin for you? Well, that actually, ironically, it really started with the shadow person experience that I had when I was a child. Uh, woke up in my bed in the middle of the night, and, you know, there was a strange, mysterious, uh, dark entity standing in the corner of my room. Um, you know, I had no idea what it was at the time. I had no idea anything about shadow people. I just thought there was an intruder in my room, and it was about to kill me. If that's what you think at that age. Sure. And, uh, you know, it didn't do that, but it did actually approach my bed. Um, you know, I was trying to scream, my mouth opened, nothing came out, so I was just too terrified at that age. And it did the most unusual thing. It actually grabbed me by the wrists, and it crossed my arms across my body, and then it ran off down the hall. Um, you know, I ended up finding my voice, finding my legs, ran off to my parents' bedroom, and, you know, they they tried to console me, told me that was a bad dream, but, um, you know, I knew I was awake the whole time. And that was a, the first of a couple different shadow people experiences. Um, you know, I had my first paranormal investigation when I was about uh, 15 years old, uh, but prior to that, you know, we had moved into a uh, new house in Ohio, and, uh, again, not a full shadow person like I'd seen uh, the first time, but one of those that people commonly report, you, know, you kind of see it out of the corner of your eyes, see it in the, in the doorway, and you turn and look, and it takes off. And this was happening several times uh, at a new house that we had moved into. And I'm just unpacking boxes, and this thing would just you know, take off anytime I'd look at it. And you know, I ended up asking my mother if she was seeing this thing, and uh, apparently she thought I was a little bit older, you know, being 13, it could handle it, and she was, said, yeah, yeah, she had seen it as well. So I started calling the thing Tom, as in, like, peeping Tom. And, you know, so it, it'd come by the bedroom door and say, hey, Tom, and it'd take off. And uh, it lasted about three or four months. And then, like I said, I had that, um, you know, that first little paranormal investigation when I was about 15 years old and had no idea. Again, that's what you called it at the time. But, um, you know, a, a friend of mine, she thought her house was haunted, so another buddy and I were, were checking it out. And, um you know, doing a, really what you would call a paranormal investigation, although we had no idea that that's what we were doing at the time. But during this investigation, I had no idea that my friend David was a uh, extremely sensitive, and he, he put his hand to the wall, that the wall that she was having a lot of problems with in this house, and he just turned this bright, bright red, started sweating profusely. And I'm looking at my friend like, oh, my gosh, you know, what the heck's going on with David? And he started going from wall to wall in the house to see you know, if there were any other hot spots like that. And that was kind of the moment that I knew um, – that this was something that I was going to have a great interest in and, and follow for the rest of my life. How old were you when you had that first experience in your bed? I was about eight or nine years old. I was pretty young. What is it about th- when you were describing that? And it's not just you. I've had other people describe you know similar experiences. What is it about the idea of a dark uh, figure in your bedroom while you're in bed? I mean, that is the, that's monsters in the closet stuff. That's, that's <laughs> monsters under the bed stuff, right? I mean, th- th- exactly. it doesn't get much more frightening than that. Yeah, especially at that age. And, you know, it's, that's not the only time we see shadow people, but that, you know, that is a common report that people will wake up in the middle of the night and see this thing, whether it's in the corner of the room, at the edge of the bed, you know, or, or something of that nature. 
and you know when we get a little bit deeper into the discussion talk about you know what these things may be doing there is a theory out there that you know these at least some of these uh, shadow entities may be what we would call an energy vampire and are there striking fear into you and then feeding off of that fear at least that's one theory yeah the um you know you had that first experience it kind of opened the paranormal world to you even though you were quite young at the time uh and then you as you described you went on to do some other investigating and you clearly have written a lot of stuff about the paranormal but only recently uh this book a walk in the shadows has come out so um you decided to hold off on writing about shadow people for a while was there a particular reason or was it just kind of the way things happened well it's kind of the way things happen i've i've been doing you know, a, a lot in the paranormal for for a long time, and um, you know, wrote several other books you know, about hauntings, about particular states like Maryland, Oklahoma, places that I had lived, and then I had several years there in which I was uh, collecting stories from uh, from people for anthologies, uh, haunted anthologies of you know experiences that people have had from all over. Because I could sit there and write a book about the things that I've experienced. You may not be able to relate to anything that I have, but if I collect stories from people from all over, there's a chance that you could relate to somebody's experience and realize you're not alone in all of this, that there are other people out there that have had these similar experiences. And then in conjunction with that, we were featuring a particular historic haunted location and uh, raising some, some money and, and donating some of the proceeds to those haunted historic locations. So I was, I was doing several other things, and um, I, I've been working on the Shadow Person book, A Walk in the Shadows, uh, for a few years now. And you know, putting together my ideas, and I I have a YouTube channel, Hunter Road Media, that I've done several videos on, and basically took the information that I'd already put out from those videos, and combined it with my experiences, experiences with others, and then got into some you know deeper, uh, kind of more the esoteric theories about who or what shadow people may be. So it's it's been a project in the works for a few years now. As you were uh, investigating, just doing normal investigations, and I think you said that when you first started doing them, you really didn't know what they were called at the time. You just were doing it. Um, what, about what time frame was that? It sounds to me like it may have been um, early 2000 around, maybe? I don't know. Oh, no, no. Uh, early 90s. That would have been like around 1990. I'm a, I'm a little bit older than I look. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the paranormal reality television shows that we all know now, uh, obviously didn't exist at that point. So did you have an inspiration to, to kind of guide you at that point? Uh, my my only inspiration really at that point, well, it might have been a little bit twofold. So one, Han Solzer, um, when we made that move out of Massachusetts into Ohio when I was 13, my mother had picked up a a book for me, Yankee Ghost by Han Solzer, as like a more unique way to remember the area from which I had come. And you know, I remember reading the book on, on the drive, uh, out to Ohio, and you know, it it took me a couple of stories <laughs> into it, and it, to pick up on, oh my gosh, these these are actually real stories, and I just started eating it up. Um, I was in a, I moved to a smaller town in in Ohio, so it was hard to get a hold of information. You know, it's before the internet and, and all that, so it was difficult. And about all that the library had uh, was the Amityville Horror, and so you know, I read that, and I was. My little girlfriend, I had the time, thought I was nuts, but uh, once I got finished reading that book, I was like, I want to go to that house and figure out what really happens there. So um, that's kind of what uh, launched me. The um, idea of going to investigate the first time, a lot of people, uh, you know, get nervous about it. They When they go, they're, they're a little antsy because they're not sure what to expect. Did you have any of those uh, feelings when you did it for the first time? 
Yeah, that first time, it was really just helping a friend and um, you know figuring out what was going on. I was I was more excited. It's like, oh, this might be a haunted house. And like I said, I've been reading you know the stuff from from Hans Holzer and and all that. And so I was kind of more excited at that point. It was um, more of when I was doing my uh, early investigations as a younger adult that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect here. Um, now that I actually had a chance to kind of sit down and think about it. Um, so there were those first ones there, I was probably a, a little bit more nervous than that first one when I was a kid. I was just too oblivious to really realize what I was doing. Uh, I don't want to get too deeply into this yet because we have a lot to talk about, but I but we do have a question from our chat room that I think is worth asking right now. James in our chat room says, can shadow people be actual shadows? He apparently saw one in Florida while he was uh, uh, driving along a highway. Um, it was on a wall. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I kind of think they are shadows. That's kind of what we see. So I'm not sure. Are they actual shadows or are they do they have a form? Well, they they can have a form. Some of them are just like a shadow, like you know, something very translucent and wispy in nature, uh, maybe sometimes almost like a dark cloud. There's a lot of different types, but there are actual ones that form up. I mean, the, the one that touched me and crossed my arms across my body, you know, that had, that had a mass to it. It felt like a real human, uh, you know, touching me. And I've, you know, heard other stories in which, uh, you know, somebody had actually, like one that's in the book, where he woke up in this shadowy form was on his sitting on his chest, kind of like almost the old hag syndrome that, that we talked yeah, about. Yeah. And he was actually able to physically push her off of him, that you know, she actually had mass to her. So it just it depends on the type of shadow that we're talking about. Yeah, okay. So um I want to go back to this kind of your introduction to the investigating. You you know, you started investigating the first time you went out, you did it for a friend trying to help a friend out. Um what were your thoughts about paranormal activity or spirit activity at that point did you have any theories as to what it was or were were you did you go in as a skeptic um i think i became a little bit more skeptical as i got older um and, and started realizing that the nature of people and and kind of the the nature of how um you know different things within a home or a building can can make you start to think uh that oh this might be a haunting and it's really not um as as a kid at that age, um, you know, I was all about it. <laughs> you know, I I would do silly things um, like when I was eleven or twelve years old, where I was creating ghost stories at my grandparents' house to uh, to scare my my sister and my cousin, and you know, so uh, you know, it was something I was really excited about getting into. I, I started getting more skeptical about certain situations as I got older. What about you? I mean, you've written some non or some fiction as well. Is it was that the inspiration of some of those stories? Uh, my fiction, it, those are actually uh, a couple of mystery novels, so uh, a little bit different than the paranormal. And gotcha. I, I've been, yeah, I've been writing since I was seven years old, um, and it started with uh, detective fiction. I was really into the Encyclopedia Brown books and was trying to mimic those, as if you can imagine, as a seven-year-old. Um, I did write some little ghost stories and, and what have you, and if you can imagine historic fiction as a seven-year-old so um <laughs> that that's always been with me so yeah my um my first the first book that i ever published was a a mystery novel and then i kind of branched more out to the paranormal after that because i was writing some paranormal fiction and uh my first publisher had come across me they were looking to expand their 
their paranormal line of, of books, and I was living in Maryland at the time. She said, I, I know that you're a fiction writer, but I also realize that you're into the paranormal. Would you be willing to, to cover a nonfiction book about uh, ghosts and hauntings in Maryland? And, yeah, I jumped all over that. Uh, let's go back to the point where you said, I think you said you moved to Ohio into another house, and you, you were starting to actually have uh, more shadow person interaction. It was a little less menacing than maybe that first encounter, like peeking around corners and that kind of thing. And you said your mom saw it too? Yeah, yeah, she saw that as well. And did she have any ideas? I mean, was she is she someone that may have had a, uh, you know, a, a history of having paranormal uh, activity around her, or was that something new for her as well? You know, she's opened up a, a lot more about it in, in recent years. Um, you know, even though she admitted to me back then that uh, that she had seen that, she wasn't one back then that would admit to uh, to ghosts being real. But in, in recent years, she's come forward a little bit more, and a, a house that she and my father moved into after that uh, was on some Native American land. And there were times that she would see things and experience things within that house that uh, she started opening up about and talking about. So um, it's something she's always been open to, but I wouldn't necessarily say it follows her around. She's just uh, more sensitive to it. Do you think that that activity that you both witnessed in Ohio uh, followed you from where you had lived previously? No, um, that, that one in Massachusetts, we'd lived there for 10 years, and that was really my only experience there. Okay. Um, and there was a good, what, Six years between that incident and the time that uh, that we moved to Ohio. We're talking with Mike Ricksecker tonight. We're talking about his book. It's called A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. Mike, we're going to go to break here, but the book is available now, right? Yeah, yeah, available now. You can pick it up on my website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, pretty much anywhere. Tonight's guest, Mike Ricksecker, is an author. He's a publisher. He's a videographer. He's also CEO of Haunted Road Media. Mike, what's Haunted Road Media? Now, Haunted Road Media is a book publishing and video production company. So we have over 700 videos out there right now on YouTube, basically where you're broadcasting live right now, uh, ranging from different ghost stories to live stream shows, uh, exploration videos, a lot of different things out there. And then the book publishing company, uh, publishing not only my books, of course, but also we have over a dozen authors on board whose books we're, we're also, also publishing. So ranging from, you know, ghost stories to uh, historic paranormal uh, occurrences to paranormal fiction. So a lot of different uh, types of topics. Let's talk about the book, A Walk in the Shadows. Is it a study of uh, shadow people? Is it a a reference guide? How would you explain it to somebody who hasn't seen it? Yeah, you could certainly use it as a a reference guide because it does break down all the individual types of shadow people. We get into uh, sleep paralysis within that book, and then we get into a lot of different types of theories as to you know whether or not there are extraterrestrials. Uh, we get into simulated universes, things like that. Uh, so you can certainly use it as a reference model, but then it's you know there's a little bit of candor in there as well because I, I bring in a lot of uh, different people's uh, personal experiences with shadow people, and so it gets a little bit more on a personal level as well. I have to admit, um, my first experience with the paranormal was with shadow person or with with you know sighting shadow people actually down a hall down a long hall um one of the things i find interesting about shadow people is that they seem to be very very aware of their physical surroundings i mean you related a story about 
uh, a shadow person peeking around a corner. That's very, very common. What is it about shadow people that seems to allow them to better manipulate their environment than maybe some other kind of spirit activity? Yeah, that's a great question. They, they do seem to have a very keen awareness of, of their surroundings. You know, they're able to dart in and out of specific doorways. I've seen that a lot, uh, you know, in and out of doorways like that. And, in fact, um, you know, the one that ran off down the hall, it didn't quite complete the tail. It actually opened a closet door and ran into uh, that particular closet. So uh, these things are definitely aware of their surroundings. And, you know, it, it could be that um, they're, they're – I tend to think a real shadow person is an interdimensional being. So it could be that while they may be here visiting from another dimension, that they still have some sort of physical bounds from that dimension as well. So let's go through some of the different types of shadow people and what their characteristics might be. Are there a lot of different kinds? There are. So I, the whole first part of the book breaks down humanoid figures, uh, the hat person, hooded figures, the wisp, the mist, uh, crawlers. There's a large variety of, uh, of types, uh, the entity with red eyes. So, yeah, there's a lot of different types of shadow people. And um, are they all, uh, do they all exhibit the same kind of behavior and just look different? Or does a different uh, look mean you're going to experience a different kind of behavior? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and that's something that, as I've gotten deeper into this, have realized that, um, you know, we as humans, we like to categorize and try to, you know, ascertain that, you know, well, if you have this particular uh, characteristic, it must equate to these types of actions. And that just, it hasn't really been the case. You know, there are some things, like the hat, the hat men tend to be more nefarious in nature. The one with red eyes seem to be more nefarious in nature. But yet, that's not always the case, where... Um, one of my bigger cases that, that I was on that was uh, featured on The Haunted, you know, it, it dealt with an entity with red eyes, and there was definitely um, malicious things going on in that household. Yet, you know, with others that I've heard with the red eyes, they were just kind of standing there being observant. You know, yeah, it's creepy, but not necessarily nefarious either. Um, so even though a lot, there are a lot of people out there that try to like chalk up that all shadow people are the darkest of the dark, and, you know, they're all evil. And that's not necessarily the case. There's, there's been times I've walked into a room, and it's like I scared the shadow. Um, so they're each, they seem to each have their own unique personality. Let's talk about that concept a little bit, because there are people that say well, when they encounter a shadow person, they get a sense of foreboding. Do you think that's self-imposed? To a degree. Um, now, there are some that are very foreboding, and, and like I said earlier, there are the uh, some ideas where um, a shadow person may, certain types, may be a type of energy vampire and, and feeding off of that fear, but um, yet, yeah, we do tend to, as people, fear what we don't understand, and a lot of these situations happen in dark environments. Sometimes they happen during the day. But a lot of times they're a dark environment, or if we're waking up in our bedroom in the middle of the night and seeing this thing, you know, we're, you know, we're naturally scared because there's something in our house that should not be in our house. And so, yeah, there is that kind of uh, self-imposition of, you know, this is something dark, I can't see any details, so that's disconcerting. And so, yeah, we kind of have a natural reaction to, to fear it. And that's not wrong, but it also doesn't necessarily mean that this thing is there to you know, do you harm? You know, if you had suddenly appeared in somebody's house, 
um, and they weren't sure who you were, they would be scared too, even if you didn't mean any harm. So, I mean, one of the things that kind of baffles me about this, and, 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 and it's easy to, to, and I think it's right to talk about the fact that just because there's a darkness to them it doesn't mean it's necessarily evil. We automatically jump to that conclusion, but it, we shouldn't jump to that conclusion. However, having said that, you can look into a, into a pitch black room and you can still see a shadow person because somehow they still are darker than the room itself. How does that work? Yeah, and that's that's something that's really disconcerting about them. You know, it basically they have the ability to occlude light. So even if we're in a completely dark room, usually there's a little bit of light coming in from somewhere, and they're able to completely block out wherever that may be coming from. Um, and so it it does signify that they do have some sort of mass to them, at least to the point that light cannot pass through them. You know, or it could even be that they are able to absorb any of that light that is, you know, possibly uh, slipped into that room. As you started to learn about these things, did did you come across any stories that made you feel uncomfortable? And I mean, in the sense that, wow, maybe there is something nefarious to these. Well, some of them kind of mostly uh, pertaining to like old hag syndrome, uh, a lot of the different reports of that, because it doesn't always appear as this, you know, crotchety old woman. Sometimes um, it appears as like sort of an imp or even as animals. The, the one that was really disconcerting to me is, is the one where um, you know, the woman woke up in the middle of the night and there is this form of a dire wolf uh, that mm. pounced on top of her, uh, very menacing. She was thrashing around, screaming, all of that. Um, her husband woke up and flipped on the light, and he saw basically his wife was pressed into the bed, and then pressed into her shoulders were these massive paw prints. He didn't actually see the wolf himself, but he saw you know, the indentations, um, and it, it ended up going away. But just something like that where you know, you're, you're physically being affected. And I, and I thought it was actually a, even though it's frightening to think of, um, I thought it was a great case study because usually... When people observe a shadow or, or experience old hag syndrome, they're alone, and, and they're the only witness to it, and so nobody believes them. But this is one in which the husband actually got to see some of the manifestations. So I thought that was a, a unique case, even though it was quite uh, disturbing. Yeah, very disturbing. What about communication? Can, you, can people, have, have you encountered people that have had an opportunity to actually interact other than just seeing I mean, you know, seeing and and like you said, you had you had in your first encounter one actually grab your wrist and cross your arms. I, that's that's an interaction. But what about an intelligent and a communicate communicative interaction where there's actually an exchange of information? Anything like that? Yeah, it's it's rare. It doesn't happen too often. But there are some reports of uh, where people have actually been able to hear a voice of a shadow person, and you know it's. Usually via telepathy, you have to think that you know it's a, it's a shadow person. They don't have a, a mouth, so there's no physical uh, means for them to communicate like that. So a lot of people have uh, described like thought transference, and uh, the, these thoughts will form in their head, and they just happen to know it's coming from the shadow person, basically by the by the things that it's saying. And so I have a couple of examples of of that in the book uh, because it it just it's more of a rarity. Uh, that, that something like that actually happens. What is the uh, um, 
frequency of these shadow people encounters. It seems to me it's probably one of the more common. If you're going to see some type of apparition, a shadow person is probably more the likely one. Is that true? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, shadow people are certainly one of the more uh, heavily reported types of phenomenon. Uh, yeah, I, I believe it differs from person to person. So I see more shadows than apparition, but you know, my girlfriend will actually see more apparitions than shadows. So I think it has to do um, in part with you know your own personal resonance, your own personal vibration, and so people who resonate at different levels are able to see more shadows, and some are actually able to see more apparitions. Some people report seeing a black mass. It doesn't have necessarily humanoid form, but it could be up in a corner of a room. It could be floating along the floor. Uh, is that a form of shadow person, even, the, even though it doesn't have that humanoid form? Yeah, I call that the, uh, the mist. It, it is a type of shadow entity. Um, and so I, I do have a chapter on that in the book, and I have seen that. Um, one of the cases that uh, we had worked on um, actually was... The same one with the red eyes that we filmed for Animal Planet. Uh, there was one of the uh, investigations because you know we we investigated there several times that um, the cats had started acting all skittish, you know, going from room to room to room. And I started following it a little bit, and as it neared the room that was having most of the activity, the uh, where the adult daughter was staying, uh, the cat just like stopped, you know, right in front of the doorway. And I looked in to see why it had just stopped right there, and there was a large black mass that was hovering right in the room. And the cat took off around the corner. I tried to take a photo of it um, and stupidly used a flash, so I didn't actually get a photo of, of black mist. But, you know, it just kind of slowly dissipated away. But, you know, for a moment there, there was this you know, dark heaviness about the room while it was there. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not really sure exactly what that is. It seems like some sort of energy manifestation. Um, but it does seem to be some sort of shadow entity. When you shine a flashlight, because a lot of people will investigate uh, with a flashlight in their hands, and if you see a, a shadow person, you shine a light, is it going to be able to illuminate what's behind the shadow person, or does the shadow person actually absorb the light? Yeah, you know, the light seems to go right through it. So, like, when I took that photograph of the mist, it just totally obliterated the uh, the shadow entity for a moment, and then when the flashes stopped, there was like a little bit of uh, that mist that was still dissipating away. So um, it it seems like in some cases it will just completely obliterate it, even though that the entity may still be there. Um, so it in some ways like that, it actually seems to uh, defy the laws of physics because it's not it's not reflecting light. Maybe it just absorbs it and retains it uh, within its own person, and we're unable to see that. Um, so there's a lot of things we're still trying to figure out about these things and how they actually work. You brought up Hatman. Uh, you know, I've heard this creature described as Hatman, sometimes Top Hat Man. What is unique about that particular shadow person? Yeah, the Hatman. Um, they come in various shapes and sizes and types of hats, and uh, so you'll hear about the ones wearing the fedora, sometimes wearing a trench coat along with it. There'll be the top hat, sometimes with or without a cape. I've heard of one case in that it was wearing a archer-style hat, from like something out of Robin Hood, and I've heard a couple times the, the Zorro wide-brimmed hat like that. Um, so you know, we speculate as to why they may be wearing these different types of hats. And a, a lot of people say, well, they're trying to uh, mimic 
some sort of human that they've they've seen. And if um, if these things are displaced out of time, that you know they're not trapped in the river of time like we are, and they are able to traverse that. And you know perhaps they've seen um, you know some of these different types of styles that they may be trying to mimic that as they come into our world. Um, but the hat man is is usually attributed to fear. Um, again, going back to the energy vampire and appearing at the end of the bed and, and feeding off of that fear. Sometimes they have a couple other uh, humanoid uh, shadow people with them. Um, you know, so that's, that's one that will sometimes come in a group or in a, in a small pack. Uh, but that's uh, a little bit more rare than, than often. The, the Hatman stories I've heard seem far more deliberate than um, than maybe random shadow person encounters. They seem to be uh, almost always in the bedroom, and secondly, they always seem to be menacing or, or at least standing there. You know, and I guess we assume it's menacing. Where I guess there's not really any proof that it's menacing. However, there's a real pattern associated with those, which makes me think there's something unique going on. Do we have any information that might indicate there is something more? Uh, targeted about these Hatman encounters? Yeah, that, the Hatman is one which has does have more of a pattern because a lot of them, like you said, they're you know just kind of you know darting here and there, or you know we we turn and look and they're gone and, and that sort of thing. Those are more random encounters with shadows. The the Hatman does seem, like you said, to be a little bit more deliberate. Uh, they'll walk into the bedroom, stand at the end of the bed, um, you know, in the corner, uh, sometimes with or without. And they they seem to have some sort of purpose. And that is usually a strike fear into people and, and feed off of that fear. Um, and, and that does seem to be a pattern with these. So while most other shadow-type entities, um, they're a little bit more random in nature, the half-person is one that does seem to have some sort of, of mission or goal. And, um, you know, people will ask me, you know, do they have, um, you know, are, do shadows attach themselves to people? And what's interesting to me um, is, a story that uh, I included in the book about a uh, a family in which the three daughters, they all slept in the same room, and a hat man would come into the room and always stand at the end of the one girl's bed. And the other two sisters would sit there and watch us all the time. And it would just stand there and just watch her, and the girl, would, of course, would, would get scared. And this would happen night after night after night. Well, they moved from that house, but the hat man did not follow them. So, you know, we would have to ask whatever family moved in there um, if they were experiencing the activity. But, um, you know, it leads me to wonder, okay, is that hat man then, you know, maybe attached to the house? Is it, it it's domicile? Or, you know, taking another step further, is it maybe assigned to that house, that there is some sort of purpose or ulterior motive that it is, it's its job to be there and, and perform whatever it's doing standing there at the end of the bed? We are talking with Mike Ricksecker tonight. He's the author of a book called A Walk in the Shadows. It's about his research and his uh, um, investigations regarding shadow people. It's a very common, well, if anything's common in the paranormal world, it's one of the more common encounters you might have if you're a paranormal investigator. Some people think they're menacing. Some people think they're evil. um, But maybe they're none of those things. And maybe they're not even from the spirit world. We're talking about that tonight with Mike. Um, Mike, you uh, have mentioned sleep paralysis, too. Is there a relationship between shadow people and sleep paralysis? I think there are two different phenomena that can happen at the same time. Um, you know, sleep paralysis is a you know, real uh, biological phenomenon that 
when your body is asleep, it, it doesn't want to act out the dream. So it puts you in a state of paralysis. The medical community will say that, um, that you're, you're waking out of your dream. You're still paralyzed from the natural paralysis, and shadow people are a hallucination as part of your dream state. Um, and I have, a, I have a problem with that on a couple different levels. Um, you know, for one, I dream about a lot of different things, not just people. You know, I, it, I might be dreaming about um, you know, cars, motorcycles, airplanes. There might be a tree in my dream. I've had dreams of being on stage with Motley Crue, and I've never woken up to 10,000 people being in my, uh, in my bedroom with you know, pyrotechnics going off, or, <laughs> you know, as, as fun as that would be. You right, know? right. Um, <laughs> it's always a person. Uh, a shadow person, maybe a couple shadow people that that uh, people will, re- will report. Um, I've had actual sleep paralysis, uh, which is frightening. Uh, but in neither of those cases did I actually witness a shadow person. In most shadow people accounts are without sleep paralysis. People are wide awake, and all kinds of paranormal investigators see these things of paranormal investigations. So, um, you know, they can it can happen at the same time with sleep paralysis, but I believe it's two different phenomena that just occasionally happen at the same time. We have had this, um, I guess, I'm not even sure how to describe it anymore, because it started as a actually a photo contest uh, on Creepypasta, I believe, and it turned into a bit of a phenomenon where it resulted in actually a couple teenage girls hurting, very seriously hurting one of their friends. And of course, I'm talking about uh, Slenderman. While not a shadow person per se, there seems to be some connections between the Slenderman myth and the Hatman phenomena. Um, Did Slenderman borrow from that, or is there something... Uh, some more direct connection between those two. I, I, I think it did borrow. I, I think there was a lot of inspiration there. I mean, you have to think of, I mean, as a writer, I, you know, there's a part of me that respects um, the creativity behind Slenderman. Um, I, I think, um, you know, of course, people took it way too far, like you mentioned, with, with the girls there. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think when you know, people started putting more and more details into the story, they started taking some of that, uh, you know, some of those legends and lore and you know, the experiences people have had with shadow people and started attributing them to Slenderman as well. So there's a lot of crossover there. And I'll get that question all the time, is Slenderman a shadow person? It's like, well, first and foremost, Slenderman is not real. That, right. you know, that was an Internet-created myth. Um, and, and, but some of the details are also different. You know, he, you know, he, he has a... You know, white face. He's wearing a, a suit and, and things like that. So some of the details are, are different, um, but again, there is a lot of crossover as well. Some people think that um, the internet uh, creation of Slenderman actually resulted in um, so many people believing that it created the actual entity. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, some people do believe that it has created a, a what we would call a tulpa. Um, I mean, it, it may be. I, I've never seen Slenderman, so I I can't say that's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, but there is that belief, you know, and it goes back to the uh, Buddhist idea of the thought form and taking creation in real life. So is it possible that um, Slenderman was created by all these people's thoughts coming together? Theoretically, I suppose it could happen, but I've never seen it myself. You've mentioned old hag a couple of times. I know what that is. You know what that is. But maybe not everyone listening knows what it is. Describe what we are talking about. So 
old hag syndrome, I mean, this goes back millennia. And one of the things I found uh, fascinating in this study is, is the fact that uh, cultures dating back thousands of years that had no contact with each other at all had reported the same type of phenomenon, waking up in the middle of the night to this, uh, this form of this old woman or some sort of, they might describe it as like a, a witch or an incubus or a demon or something of this nature sitting on their chest, pressing them down. Um, kind of adheres to the idea of sleep paralysis, although sometimes uh, there is no sleep paralysis. And um, when when this happens, um, you know this this witch or, or old hag or whatever is um, you know kind of that same idea of striking fear into the person, feeding off of that fear. People, um, you know, some of the legends are that you know is trying to you know steal their life force and, and things like this. Um, but it's always this this old woman or imp or something like that sitting on the person's chest, pressing them down to the, into the bed. So you'll have um, some of the uh, cultures, the translations will call it the uh, like the dark presser and things of this nature. Do you think people should have any fear of these shadow people? Um, I would be cautious because there are some that, you know, to fear, yeah. but you don't really know until you're in the situation. People automatically fear just because, you know, okay, there's a shadow, I'm scared. Um, but to me, most of the shadow interactions that I've had have been pretty benign. Um, and like I said, there have been times I've walked into a room, it's like I scared the shadow because it just took off. Uh, but there are some that, you know, are more nefarious in nature and do mean to do us harm. So, um, you know, I would say just just be wary. You, you don't know when you see that shadow what type you're going to get. That's probably good advice for any type of paranormal investigating, regardless of what you see. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know, any type of situation you go into, you're you're not sure what you're getting into. So, you know, just be safe. We have to go to break in just a couple of minutes. So I'm avoiding opening opening up another can of worms about talking about interdimensional possibilities. So before we do that, which we'll do it on the other side of the break, um, if somebody wanted to have this shadow person experiences. Is there a way that you can kind of lure them or encourage them to appear? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I mean, short of trying to summon one, um, I, I would probably go to a location that commonly reports shadow people, like maybe a, a specific historic location that does, you know, that, that allows you to investigate there. Um, you know, maybe try to get in there and see if you can experience a shadow person. It's, it's not something they can really make happen on demand. I have a, a recommendation for that, actually. And we just featured last Wednesday night uh, in our History Behind the Haunt feature. Um, we talked with Sharon Coyle from Rolling Hills Asylum. That's where I had my shadow person experience, the first one. And I had many while I was there. And I know a lot of people have had those types of experiences there. So that's one place I would recommend. Is there anything, any other places on your list, uh, Mike, that you think are good spots to have a high probability of uh, catching something like that? Yeah, Rolling Hills is a great place. People talk about um, Waverly Hills having a lot of shadow activity. Um, we've had an interesting one here near where I'm at, uh, Alton, Illinois, the Mineral Springs Hotel, where uh, we actually saw a black mist uh, roll up into this is an interesting story that it actually rolled up into the apparition of a little girl. So, um, and, and people, oh, wow. have, and the, yeah, it was different, very different. But people have reported seeing a lot of shadow activity down in the abandoned pool and then all the way down in the sub-basement where the original mineral spring is. Is it possible that shadow people are actual 
spirit apparitions that haven't uh, been able to gather enough energy to fully materialize? Yeah, absolutely. That's um, and, and it's hard to tell what you're getting, whether you're getting a real shadow person or a human spirit that just can't quite fully manifest. But, you know, that is possible. And that little girl that, um, you know, that I just mentioned is a prime example. And for, for many years, I actually, you know, was pretty staunch about, no, shadow people are shadow people, human spirits are human spirits. But you know, over the years, I had, I had heard so many stories from people um, regarding, well, you know, this, this one shadow, I you know, believe, was um, like my good friend Rob Guttrow. Um, you know, he, he always talked about his, uh, his aunt uh, coming to him as a shadow that she ex- had expended so much energy that she couldn't fully manifest as a, uh, a full-bodied apparition, so she appeared to him as a shadow. And I trust Rob with my life. So I was like, okay, I'll consider it. And then I finally saw with my own eyes, you know, the, the rolling black smoke and mist. It's like, okay, here's, here's a shadow entity, but then it just formed up into this little girl. It's like, okay, this is actually a human spirit here. So it was really interesting. Uh, before we go to break here, um, you've written many nonfiction paranormal books. We're talking specifically about A Walk in the Shadows, which is about shadow people. What, what are some of the other ones that you've written? Yeah, some of the other ones, uh, Ghosts of Maryland, specifically on Hauntings of Maryland, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. Uh, again, the same. I have the uh, Encounters with the Paranormal series, which are my stories, but also include stories from others. Um, I also have Campfire Tales Midwest, which is kind of a, a mix of the, um, of the nonfiction with the fiction. Do you recommend anybody start with any book in particular? Well, of course, I'd recommend a walk in the shadows because it does it does <laughs> talk about my origins, and that's the that's the latest one. So you really could start uh, with that one. But you know, if you have a um, a specific state that that you live in, you could hit a couple of those, or even um, you know the very first of the encounter series, kind of get a, a a flavor of you know what a lot of other people, including myself, uh, have been experiencing. We have uh, you know had other folks talk about shadow people and their experiences. And almost every time someone has a shadow person experience, the first question that comes to mind is what is this? What are we looking at? There are a lot of theories. You've thrown a few out already. Let's talk about the idea that these might be interdimensional creatures. Explain how that could be. Yeah. Interdimensional beings. So um, here's where I think that they're actually interdimensional is that uh, one of my experiences that I had, um, I had I've kind of talked, alluded to it a little bit here. I walk into a room and you know it's like I scared the shadow. Um, and this happened at a uh, at a restaurant we were investigating called Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And we were just winding down to the end of the investigation. I decided to take a last photo sweep of the interior. A couple of the guys were upstairs in the bar area. A couple others were out in the dining room area. And so I'm walking through the main kitchen doors. And as I'm walking in, this shadow was, and it was one that I would call a wisp. It was tall, translucent, very narrow, and very fast. And it just darted right across the room and you heard it, bam, slam right into the uh, door of the, uh, the side door of the kitchen. And it was one of those like little flimsy metal doors that waiters and waitresses would, you know, go through with large trays of food. Uh, the strange thing about this is even though you heard the slam, the door actually didn't move at all. It stayed absolutely completely still. So I called out to the others, hey, did you guys hear that? And they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I described what I had, had seen and started questioning, okay, what, did, what in the world did I actually see here? You know, because I heard that. And so I started wondering if they'd thrown something at the, at the door and what have you. But um, 
I knew they hadn't because the door hadn't moved. It was one of those you could just you know tap it with your finger and the thing would open. So I actually walked out uh, through that door and look, I'm looking at the ground. Oh, there's nothing on the ground here. They didn't throw anything at it. And you know, the, a couple of guys are still up in the bar, and the others were you know way off in the dining room area. So um, so I got to thinking about what I had just witnessed. So I walked in, and like I said, it seemed like I had scared it. So maybe it saw me as a shadow, maybe it saw me as a ghost. I have no idea, but it got scared, and it ran through that door. Now, if we're on two different planes of existence, theoretically here, it's very possible that on its plane of existence, it blew right through that door, that door opened, and it ran off into the other room. But because it is on a different plane of existence, I didn't actually see it. On mine, the door stayed shut. However, the sound of that, since sound is on a different wavelength, could very well travel between dimensions like that. And so this is why I've always you know, chalked up you know, these interdimensional, or shadow people as interdimensional beings. I mean, to a lesser degree, that one that you know, went off into my closet, because um, people do report things like that. Well, they just kind of like see them run off and disappear like that, and where do they go? Um, but it's that one at Johnny V's that I, I really um, has really taken me down the path of these are interdimensional beings we're seeing. Would you apply that same uh, rationalization or explanation to other types of spirit sightings? Um, yeah, I mean, I think some of these things that we are seeing and experiencing are interdimensional beings. People will talk about like, the black-eyed children. Um, you know, they're, they're not shadow people. I get that question all the time. You know, are black-eyed children shadow people? No. <laughs> There's something completely different. Uh, but I think they are interdimensional just you know, because of the way that um, you know, they're very creepy. You know, they don't act human at all, um, even though they have that look of a child. And when you know, people have finished having their interaction with them, they just completely disappear into, into like, nothing. Um, and so I, I think some of these different things that we interact with are actually interdimensional or coming from some other plane of existence. Do you have any stories of people actually being hurt? I mean, if, if one grabbed your wrists and crossed your arms, obviously you weren't hurt, but the physical interaction indicates that the possibility of being hurt is there. Any stories where people were hurt? I mean, the possibility is there. Um, I've heard stories of people being grabbed by the ankles and yanked off the bed, um, which obviously you know didn't tickle. Um, you know, some people have reported you know being scratched, or you know some of these um, uh, interactions you know turn into physical alterations, altercations where you know we're you know having a wrestling match on the ground and the thing disappears. So it can happen. We have um, a lot of different theories that we can talk about. Uh, the interdimensional one is interesting too because I think it, when it comes to the paranormal discussion in general, this whole idea of other dimensions and crossover between those dimensions is becoming more and more um, common in the discussion. Not not in just our world, but also in the world of the scientific community. The idea of uh, other uh, coexisting dimensions is becoming something that scientists are ready to accept, too. So there seems to be a convergence here of our ideas and the scientific community's ideas, which doesn't always happen, but it seems to be happening with this interdimensional talk. Yeah, that's, that's very true. You know, there are some scientific theories that talk about you know many, many dimensions, and so I think they're becoming a, a little bit more open to it, or you know, at least there being some sort of existence within these other dimensions. They may not, you know, be ready to say, well, you know, it's a shadow person or a ghost or, you know, something like that. But, you know, they're at least willing to entertain the idea of these different dimensions. And, you know, we're seeing some of those theories, you know, come out into our, um, you know, into our popular culture, like the movie Interstellar, where they actually, 
you know, got into the fifth dimension, the idea of being able to manipulate time, and they're flat out saying in the movie, you know, you were my ghost. So they're, they are acknowledging that to some degree. If if these are interdimensional travelers, or maybe not travelers, I, I hesitate to use that word because that was actually part of the question. If these are interdimensional, are they traveling intentionally between dimensions, or are they getting caught up in some kind of thinning of the veil? And that's a good question. I think some of them get caught up, like that one where I saw it dart across the room. I think that was one where, you know, thinning of the veil or a, a dimension echoing into another, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think that was one of those cases, but some of these others, you know, like the Hat Man or that that first one that I experienced, it seems like those were a little bit more intentional that they were coming here to visit and they had some sort of specific purpose. What about an alien or an extraterrestrial type connection? Uh, is there any any evidence to support that this could be something very uh, physical, only extraterrestrial? Yeah, it's a uh, it's another idea. It's another theory out there. Um, if if extraterrestrials are able to come from another dimension, then it could be that some of these shadow people we're experiencing are actually extraterrestrials. You know, there's an idea that you know if if uh, aliens are able to astral project from you know, even from their planet to ours somehow that. You know, perhaps what we're seeing as a shadow is actually the astral projection of that alien. There's also other ideas that, um, you know, perhaps they're coming here to, uh, you know, to visit our planet and run some sort of, you know, reconnaissance mission, and perhaps what we're seeing is some sort of cloaking device that, you know, perhaps they don't completely understand the physicality of our our eyes and, and how the human body works, and they don't completely show up invisible to us, but as this type of shadow, or sometimes you hear about like a shimmer man or something like that. Um, so there's those ideas out there as well. Something that, that actually parallels that that I find interesting in this conversation is that there are people that have had bedroom visits by what they say are alien creatures, but in, re- in, in, uh, in reality, the descriptions they give are often very, very similar and only differ in small detail between how we've just been describing some of these shadow person visitations. Yeah, that's very true, and that's why we have to uh, consider that some of these could be actual alien and extraterrestrial uh, visits because of the fact that there are so many similarities between um, abduction stories and uh, shadow person stories. So, you know, there's a lot of crossover here that uh, that, that does kind of make you wonder, okay, what are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with, uh, are we dealing with a shadow person? Are we dealing with an extraterrestrial? Or are we dealing with something else that, you know, still could be interdimensional and may not be either one of these things? So one of those things is the simulated universe concept. Tell us about this. Yeah, simulated universe. So, um, and, and it's really, if you, if you think about it, 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 it actually goes into a lot of our, our major religions that, you know, we're here down on Earth learning something, and then, you know, we go off um, to some other higher existence, you know, that's outside of our physical body here on Earth. Well, you know, that really does hearken to you know, a, a type of simulation that we're playing out down here, that this isn't the, you know, home world, the home world is, is somewhere else. And so if if that's true, um, and, and a lot of people try to take it to, um, you know, to think of the movie The Matrix, and that's a computer simulation. And, you know, I mean, it could be, but I, I try to think of it more of, it's not necessarily a computer in the way we think of, because we always kind of think of things in terms of our current technology. 
I, I think it's probably something deeper that's more molecular or biological or organic or something like that that you know we're, we might be playing out down here um, uh, on Earth. And if, if that's true, if, there, if, if this is a simulation um, that there is another world that we're coming from, there could be beings from that other world that are coming down here as observers. Um, if you take a look at, I'll go back to computers here for a little bit, if you take a look at a lot of our um, massively multiplayer online games, um, the actual game masters can you know, pop into that simulation as it, an invisible entity. You, know, you can't see them, but they're actually there in the world and they're able to observe, look around, actually manipulate the, the world to some degree or another. And every once in a while as a game player, you bump into them <laughs> Or they, they might accidentally show themselves a little bit, like, oh, okay, there's a game master here. And that could actually be what some of these things are. Is they're, they're down here observing what's going on in our kind of quote-unquote game space, our, our simulation that we're running here. And sometimes we see them, and oh, there's, you know, there's the shadow person, but it's actually some sort of uh, game master type of thing. Or it could even be, you know, maybe um, you know, they are down here for some sort of nefarious uh, means you know, within this simulation, and they might be up to no good. We don't know what that could possibly be. Um, it would have something to do on a, in a higher, that higher plane of existence that we're originally from. The idea that the alien connection, connection exists um, might also explain why uh, alien craft, these UFO reports and encounters that we often have, many times they appear in the, in the night sky as almost a shadow. Um, or they they materialize and then dematerialize uh, without warning or without any kind of uh, reason to have done that. So if we're thinking that one of the possibilities here is that these shadow people could be, be alien in nature, could that same phenomena apply to these craft as well? Yeah, the craft could work interdimensionally as well. I mean, we don't understand the technology that they're using. Obviously, it's it's greater than ours if they're traveling here from you know another planet, another solar system. We haven't mastered that yet, so we don't completely understand what type of technology it, it takes to make something like that happen. But you know, if if the entities themselves, the extraterrestrials themselves, are able to move about interdimensionally, it stands to reason their craft would be able to as well. What's the um, connection between shadow people and, let's say, uh, time travel? Is there anything there that might exist? Oh, there certainly, uh, there certainly could be. And it, uh, again, it kind of harkens back to a lot of these things that we've already been talking about. If um, you know, kind of the same way that we're we're talking about aliens being able to move about interdimensionally. You know, if we have you know, in, in appearing there, but not fully manifesting. Um, if we have somebody that's time traveling from you know, 50 years from now into, uh, into our current time here, you know, they may not be fully uh, manifesting because you know, we don't understand the technology that it would take to make that happen. Or, again, it could be even some sort of cloaking device that they're trying to implement but isn't fully coming off. Um, there's also a lot of theories about, um, about time and space all being concurrent in that, you know, Time to us, I mean, time is a human construct anyways. We invented it to, you know, keep track of right. our daily routine. Um, so if time doesn't really exist and it's all happening concurrently, as some theories suggest, then, you know, perhaps some of these shadows are, are 
kind of shadows leaking over from another time that um, is coexisting with ours right now. Once again, we're talking with Mike Ricksecker tonight. He's the author of a book we're chatting about called A Walk in the Shadows. Um, he's written several other books about the paranormal as well, also some fiction work. Uh, you can check it all out on his website, MikeRicksecker.com. We have um, this concept that anything dark is evil. Uh, while we've talked about this already, um, there are some people that still have uh, a tremendous fear and a tremendous sense of, uh, again, maybe self-imposed, but sense of uh, foreboding when they encounter anything like this. What do you say to them to help them help ease their minds a little bit? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one um, because you're, you're not in the person's shoes and you're not quite sure what they've experienced unless you've, you've been there with them and experienced it themselves or yourself. Um, so, you know, you, you, you try to help give them the bigger picture and, and kind of a lot of the different things that we've already, you know, described about how, you know, think about the particular situation. Did this thing actually touch you? Did it actually try to harm you? You know, did it actually do anything nefarious, or was it just passing through the room? You know, sometimes right. it'll just be a shadow walking down the hall. Okay, you know, you might be scared because it's a shadow and it's dark, but did it really actually do anything? So, you know, you, you try to kind of get into the situation, kind of think about it logically. Okay, think about if this was an actual person and not a shadow, what would you think about this particular situation? So, you know, there there's a little bit of psychology that goes along with this as well, and you try to help people as best you can. Have you had an opportunity to either hear a shadow person talk or maybe even do an EVP session? Of course, um, you know, an electronic recording session where you catch some voices after the fact uh, that you can attribute to a shadow person being present? Um, I mean, uh, we try EVP sessions all the time with, uh, with our investigations. I have not heard a shadow person specifically uh, talk to me like, in my head that a lot of people do report, so that hasn't happened. Like I said, it's a little bit of a, of a more rare occurrence, but um, you know, the one that really stands out is when we were doing the uh, investigation that was on uh, The Haunted, in which we were doing a cleansing with Carl Johnson. And during that cleansing, and, and I know everything that I've already said, people are like, look, you know, they're all evil, but no, <laughs> they're not. Yeah. But this one, this one was kind of, this was a bad one. Um, and because this was one with the entity with red eyes. And while we were doing that cleansing, the girl, Talison, had, had come back into the house. She was the adult daughter that was experiencing most of the activity. And she started, she came in to use the bathroom. Um, and she started talking at something against the wall. Um, and we're like, okay, what, what's going on here? So Carl decided to do a blessing over her. And as he's doing this blessing over her, she suddenly, like, doubled over in pain. Like, she just got punched in the gut. She was like, oh, you know, and she fell to the ground. And we picked her back up, got her on the bed. She was okay. Uh, but when I went back over my audio, there was an EVP right there that said, die. And we started having all kinds of other crazy things going on at that time when that happened. Like, the, black, the back door started blowing open and just all kinds of crazy things. So... Um, you know, that entity that we were purposely trying to, um, to push out was, was getting, uh, you know, pretty riled up. How often do you get out and investigate? I mean, you, you obviously spend a lot of time writing, given the amount of work that you've done. Um, but obviously also investigating is something that, that helps you with your writing and helps you research and helps you understand what's going on. Do you get to do that a lot? 
I try to get out there as often as I can. Um, you know, probably you know a couple times a month. It's a little bit tougher here uh, during the winter time. It's just you know <laughs> it's cold. You know, weather is terrible and, and all of that. But um, you know, once it starts getting a little bit warmer, you know, we try to get out there you know at least a couple times a month. Um, you know, or or more. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do a lot of what we call cemetery crawls and uh, look for hidden cemeteries and things like that on the weekend as well. So you know, there's a lot of lost history out there and, and, and people that have kind of been lost to time. So we'd like to try to make people aware of, you know, these different locations that are that are actually out there and, hey, try to remember these people that are here. So, um, you know, we try to do quite a bit as much as we can. But, Mike, you, um, you've recently written about, I think I saw something on your website about the Stanley Hotel, right? Oh, I did a uh, well. I have a, a the blog out there, and so yeah, I did an article on the Stanley Hotel and a, uh, a video on that on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel. It's a fascinating Probably place. A yeah, it's a fascinating oh, yeah. place. I spent a great deal of time there. I've done a bunch of events out there. Um, in the middle of in, in in the in addition to being in the middle of nowhere, it's in a very beautiful spot. But it also has uh, has that energy that we all point to as being the fuel for paranormal uh, activity. Oh, absolutely, yeah. How it's um, basically built right into the rock there, and you have all that energy coming uh, right off the mountain there. Yeah, it's amazing. So when we talk about shadow people, what about shadow animals? You've mentioned a dire wolf uh, incident. You've mentioned a couple other things, but are those common as well? And what different shapes do they take? Yeah, people do report seeing uh, shadow animals. Uh, the one that I've seen, I would call a shadow cat, or at least it was about the size of a, of a cat, and the way it kind of slinked about was it was very cat-like, um, but you know, didn't really see the you know the ears and the specific head or whatever. It just kind of resembled it, you know. Um, but people have talked about um, um, you know shadow dogs. Uh, and the big one that I feature in the book is a story about shadow spiders. So it, it seems like a lot of these different animals that we see um, in our daily lives uh, take the form of, or maybe people are relating what they're seeing as a shadow to something we see in our daily life, and they're they're, uh, appearing as these smaller type of shadow entities. Are are there um, orb-type shadow appearances? I know that there are just the opposite of that, where there are, and I don't mean the little orbs that people catch in, in pictures and they think, you know, when it's just a flash off of a dust or a bug, but there are um, actually baseball size orbs or bigger that people have seen that have uh, light to them. Are there the same thing on the other side with the shadow uh, phenomena? Well, I think that comes across with the shadow and mist. I mean, that can take different shapes and forms and sizes. So you might have a smaller one as opposed to, like, maybe the larger one that I saw. And, and yeah, there, there are actual orbs with illuminated balls of light, which I've, I've certainly seen. I, I think what we can relate to that with the, with the shadows would be the mists that we see, because that, that takes a more of a, you know, that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More of like a globe type of a uh, shape. Yeah. Um, Again, going back to the playfulness of these, I know that when I had uh, my first couple of shadow person experiences, there was a playfulness to them that I felt like, you know, like you said, peeking around corners, kind of darting between rooms. Um, I saw one, you know, kind of jumping between uh, across a hallway between two different rooms. Uh, Is the playfulness intended to somehow tease or do you think are, are they aware of our presence? 
Yeah, you're right. Some of them do have a bit of a playfulness to them, and I think that's what you know, a lot of people don't realize is that you know they're acting just like you know other you know regular entities or even humans would act like um, you know peeking around corners. I mean, that's kind of being more curious in in nature, you know, like a peeping tom. Like I related yeah. it to, um, and, and yeah, some of them some of them don't even seem to realize it that you're there. They're just kind of you know whisking between the rooms and, um, you know, you see them run down halls or through a doorway or something like that, kind of oblivious to, to you and the others that are there. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these are just really out of, out of space, out of time, and don't even know that you're there. What's, uh, what's next for you, Mike? You're always working on something, writing something. What's next? Yeah, well, I'm going to get deeper into um, into the shadows, but more of on the interdimensional side. So I'm working on a manuscript right now. I'm calling it the shadow dimension, for lack of a better term, right now. But um, you know, people have been really curious about you know the idea of different dimensions, of course, extraterrestrials, and you know what is this you know other side that that we talk about, and um, you know what are the different possibilities out there as far as Different universes and dimensions and things like that. Where are these? Where are these shadows actually coming from? So that's the that's the route that I'm going to go down. You um, uh, once again let people know where they can get your books, any of them, including the one we're talking about tonight, "A Walk in the Shadows." Yeah, absolutely. Uh, MikeRicksecker.com or uh, or Amazon or Barnes and Noble, any any place like that that uh, is carrying "A Walk in the Shadows." Thanks for the work you do, Mike. It's great stuff, and I also appreciate your time here tonight, and our audience does as well. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate being on, JV. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we'll have you back again soon. Uh, certainly reach out to us when, when the next uh, book is out. Uh, again, Mike Ricksecker. His website is his name, MikeRicksecker.com. You can find the book we were talking about tonight, A Walk in the Shadows, about shadow people there, as well as his other work. Looking for our guest's book? Go to Amazon.com slash shop slash Taps. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.